What's going on, good listener? Welcome back into an all-new episode of the Talk In Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson along with you today. Uh, good-looking show. We're going to talk to legendary sports broadcaster Paul Romanuk, who uh, has been on the show a bunch of times before, but a few different things I wanted to talk to him about. Uh, he's a bit of a Beatles fanatic, Beatles expert. Um, got a great podcast of his own called The Walrus Was Paul. Uh, talking to different Canadian musicians about their favorite Beatles album. So if you're into the Beatles, that's a good listen. Uh, also got a new book out, and uh, this continues a series. It's called Hockey Superstars. It's directed at kids and just kind of getting them into the game, getting them to know some of the, the bigger stars around the league a little bit. We'll talk about that as well. We'll get to Paul in just a minute. Uh, give us a follow on social media at Tall Can Audio. Let us know what you think, and uh, make sure you're subscribed to the pod wherever you're hearing us right now. Uh, I apologize if my voice sounds a little off today, feeling just a little bit under the weather. Um, so we're doing our best here. Uh, hope it's not too off-putting at the moment. Uh, I'm hoping that this part will help clear it up just a little bit. This is, of course, uh, day four, as I'm sitting here recording, of the Nita Craft Beer Advent Calendar. Today's pint comes from the Grain and Grit Brewing Company down in Hamilton. It's called Third Wind. It is a West Coast Pale Ale. Uh, it says here it's kind of a play off of a San Francisco-style IPA. I'm not super familiar with how a San Francisco IPA differs from a West Coast IPA. Not that big of an expert and didn't do that much digging. Like I said, clock's in here at uh, 5.7%. So let's see how that looks. It's definitely got uh, definitely some citrus in there. Uh, right up front, not overpowering or anything, uh, but pretty nice pint here. Yeah, uh, probably better give it a second pull just to make sure I know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, you can see yourself having a few of these. And th- and this is this is a nice beer, right? We talked on uh, on the Monday show with Rob about, you know, not trying to maybe have too many sours or things like that in, uh, in December. This is a nice beer you could have any time of year. And uh, hopefully... As I sit here and talk to uh, to our buddy Paul Romanuk, this will clear up my throat a little while we chat. We'll uh, we'll see whether that happens or not. I'm somewhat pessimistic. Uh, coming up this week, Lee Versage will be back in here, of course, for his uh, Thursday morning edition of the Versage sessions of Tall Can Audio. That'll be uh, fun. We'll look forward to having him back on here. And uh, Friday morning, Scotty Mack, Scott MacArthur will be back on the podcast. I thought it might be fun to talk to him, given that this is. Uh, a week of winter meetings in baseball, and we've all heard the rumblings what the Jays may or may not be in on. Uh, those names as we sit here on Monday afternoon still on the board, Shohei Otani, Juan Soto, and the Jays still rumored to be in the mix. Who knows how true that is, uh, to what degree they're involved, you know, whether we're whether they're being used as kind of pawns here to kind of drive up the price. Rob and I got into that on Monday. If you missed it, check it out at talkinaudio.com or wherever you're hearing us right now. But uh, whether that happens or not, there's always news that comes out of these winter meetings in December in Major League Baseball. And Scotty Mack's pretty plugged in. He knows what he's talking about around the Blue Jays, around baseball. So I always like catching up with him anyway, but it seemed like a good week to do it. The winter meetings will have just wrapped up and we'll see if the Blue Jays have made any minor or uh, super, super major moves by then. So that'll be Scotty Mack on Friday as well. That should be a lot of fun. So stick around and uh, make sure you are subscribed. With all that out of the way, let's bring him in. Legendary hockey broadcaster, now a successful podcaster, Paul Romanuk is here. How are you doing today, sir? 
I am doing very well. Always nice to talk to you. I'm, uh, I'm glad you made a little time to, to come back around. And um, I know you got a new book out this year, a, a part of a series. We're going to get to that. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit maybe about the media, sports media business. We'll get to that. But you know where we like to start, Paul. I'm just curious, have you tried anything good on the craft beer front down in, uh, in your neck of the woods here lately? You know, I was looking, uh, following you on, uh, on the social medias, and uh, I saw you had a lovely-looking Italian Pilsner style from, I want to say it was a craft brewery in Whitby. Am I right there? I believe they're in Scarborough, Common Good. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, so that, that certainly, uh, that uh, piqued my curiosity. So I would like to try that. But in terms of, uh, I got two boring ones uh, for a craft beer show, <laughs> uh, but they're both non-alcoholic beers. Oh, yeah. I've just been, been trying some out. One is the non-alcoholic Guinness, uh, which is, it's not as good as a Guinness, but it's pretty good. Uh, you, know, you know, like most non-alcoholic beers kind of have a, for me, a funny sort of malty taste. They don't really taste like beer. Right. This is pretty close to a real Guinness. And then there's another one uh, from uh, Triple Bogey Breweries. And uh, I love their, I, I love their regular beer. Uh, Triple Bogey is my go-to after golf because I get enough Triple Bogey. So I might as well drink one <laughs> afterwards. Uh, but I tried the non-alcoholic version of it. And again, not bad. So if you're looking for something over the holidays, if you're the the designated driver, there's a couple I can uh, recommend. That's a good time of year to be bringing that up. As you point out, a lot of people uh, coming in and out of parties. And I'll be looking for that maybe in in January. You normally try and pump the brakes a little after the holiday season, right? And uh, just stop things from getting away from you. If you're... If that's a style you're interested in, our friends from uh, Lake of Bays up in the Muskokas, they have a couple of non-alcoholic beers out now that also taste pretty good for, you know, not. I, I think they've come a long way in figuring this out, um, you know, how to make it at yeah. least taste a little more like a beer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you like to, uh, I mean, there's a, clearly the alcohol adds something to the taste profile because, uh, you know, I've had a few non-alcoholic beers and none of them seem to quite nail that it tastes like a beer but you're right they're getting closer so there is hope for humankind moving <laughs> forward not much but there, there's one front where we're good for sure uh little victories paul that's all we can hope for at this that's point that's all we can hope for yep uh before we get into to talking about the book and and everything i wanted to ask you a little about the beatles because i know you host a, a very good beatles podcast called the walrus was paul it's available anywhere that uh, the people are hearing this right now we'll make sure the links are in uh, in the show notes but I was curious what you thought of the Beatles releasing a new song in 2023. And um, actually, I saw you, your tweets were pretty funny about where it was fitting in with some of today's artists. It was it, it stood out, that's for sure. But can you just tell us sort of how this came to be? Like this this song has sort of been known to have been out there for a while, but never really released. And, you know, people knew about it, but, you know, Paul wanted to finish it. Can you kind of tell us a little about what happened there? Well, I'll give you the the telescope version because I could do an entire podcast on it. But the uh, but the quick version for your uh, your audience, if they're not familiar with it, uh, so John Lennon had done a bunch of demos on cassette tape, and this would have uh, literally been a cassette recorder sitting on top of the piano in his apartment in New York City. Press play, record, which is what you used to do, yeah. and just you know singing, you know, uh, Mary had a little lamb or whatever it was, and it just so. It's 
it's a very, uh, you know, very basic uh, recording. It's 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 monorial, and it's, which means everything's on the same track. All the sounds are married together. And artists used to do that before the days of phones, where you have a digital recorder in your pocket. You would do this so that they could remember how a song went mm-hmm. and and work it up. So he had done a number of these. After he was murdered uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, uh, Yoko Ono, as the story goes, gave Paul McCartney and George Harrison a cassette. Uh, and she said, there's some demos on there. I don't know if you can do anything with them. So they took them. And with the technology of the day, we're talking about the uh, about the early 90s here. Uh, they reworked two of them using what was on that tape for the anthology project. Uh, one was called Real Love and the other was called Free as a Bird. And they were, you know, they were okay, uh, but it was what it was. The technology of the day, not very good. There was a third song called Now and Then. And the problem with it was, uh, I mentioned a few moments ago, all the sounds are on one track and they it wasn't a very clean recording of John Lennon's voice. So in the end, it was decided it wasn't usable. Fast forward to the technology of today and we now have machine learning programs that can go in and demix monorial recordings so a mono so it can take out the guitar the bass the voice the drum something that wasn't possible even five years ago peter jackson the great film producer and director is the man who developed this one form of this technology paul mccartney gave him this cassette said can your technology work on this he lifted off john lennon's voice cleanly uh and uh, you know clean as clean could be, no other bleed from any of the other instruments. And Paul McCartney said, now we can finish this song. And that is the very quick version of what happened. That is absolutely wild. Maybe the only positive thing AI has ever done for uh, society at this point. Um, yeah, it, and it's, uh, you know, again, a, a great, if you ever decide to do a music podcast, uh, give me a call. But it's it's it, it just opens up, you know, all of these great mono recordings that were done back in the, the 50s and even the early 60s that prior to now uh, were sort of locked in. Uh, the, the best analogy is if there's a painting, once all the paint is mixed together and it's put on the canvas, it is there locked in for all time. So what this technology does using that analogy is I can now go back and take all of the individual colors out and put them back together again. And it will look exactly as it did or I can change it if I want. But I, you can do that. That used to not be possible. So it's honestly fascinating to to think about the possibilities that lay ahead with that. But I'm curious how this was received amongst the Beatles community, right? And the song itself, or did, did people like it? The, th- the closest thing in, in my world that I can kind of compare this to is, I can't remember now if it was 2002 or 2004, but we got word that there was going to be a new Nirvana song, right? That was sort of my wheelhouse at, at that age. And, and Kurt had been gone for 10 years by then. And I remember sitting in the car uh, on the way to work, listening to Edge 102 on the morning that they were going to be able to play it for the first time. And it just grabbed you, not necessarily that it was a great song, because often they're not. There's a reason they didn't make it onto some of these other albums or or whatever. But hearing that voice sing something new again, which you never thought you were going to get the chance to hear, man, there's just something very powerful about that. It was. Uh, I found it, and you know, many many people did. But I found it very emotional to listen to for the first time. You know, to hear there was something poignant about a a forty year old John Lennon singing a song and duetting with 
his longtime musical partner and friend, Paul McCartney, in a song coming out in 2023. And, you know, you had a man, again, there's so many levels, Matt, but you had a man who's in his 80s who had all of those years to live that John Lennon was robbed of uh, when he was murdered. Mm -hmm. And it's there was a poignancy to those two voices being brought together again for this one last time. And, and, and I thought it was lovely. And I mean, the first time I heard it, I, I heard it when it first played uh, on BBC Radio 6 Music and uh, the sort of unveiling. And if my thoughts were, I just don't want it to be shitty. I just hope yeah. it's good. Yeah. <laughs> and and I heard it and and it was it was good. And then for me, it's been a grower. The more I hear it, the more I appreciate it. The strings and everything beautifully arranged. And I really like it. And the, and the other thing which I tweeted about, which was really cool for me because it doesn't happen much anymore, is we had, I want to say, I mean, it would have been tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world listening to this song that was released at exactly the same time to radio stations in countries all over the world. So it was a real global event. And it's not the same as when Taylor Swift drops a new track on Spotify or right. Tidal or, or Apple Music. It's just not the same. This was radio around the world and people tuning in, especially uh, for that moment to hear that song for the first time. And I, I just thought it was really touching. And, and it's a, the way things are in the world right now. It was just a lovely, nice moment that the Beatles gave us all these years later. Uh, agreed. I, I followed the story because I was fascinated by it. I, I'm, as we've talked about before, I'm not necessarily a huge Beatles guy, but the, the technology that went into this, the story of how it came together, everything about it is uh, just incredibly unique. And I'll be interested to see what uh, what else the technology allows us to do, but actually for, for better and for worse. You know this is going to lead to some bad places as well. Oh, but, of uh, course. I've, I've always does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we are uh, into that Christmas season again, and uh, I know you have dropped another book in your your series. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And and uh, you know I, we can get into the history of it because I don't know if I've ever asked you about that. But tell us about uh, what's come out and and what this year's is uh, stands out from this year. Well, it is uh, another edition of the Hockey Superstars Annual. This is the thirty uh, seventh edition of the book uh, that I have done, uh, and it, it is what it says on the label. It is a hockey annual. It comes out at the start of the season, and it's for young the young hockey fan in your life. So I'm picturing a, a youngster, sort of eight to fourteen years old. That sort of that sort of range in there, uh, and it. We select a bunch of superstars in the league, and there's a little story, biography, or some interesting item to their career that goes with a beautiful color photo. And there's also uh, an aspect of the book that has been there since the very start where you can keep track of your favorite team and your favorite players. So there's an interactive element there. Uh, interact, uh, interactive meaning you have to pick up a pen or a pencil <laughs> or some old-fashioned writing implement and you fill it in over the course of sure. the year. So, uh, for example, your player's favorite scoring record. Let's say that I'm an eight-year-old hockey fan and I love uh, Mitch Marner. So I write his name in and then I write his statistical totals in there on November 1st, December 1st, January 1st, February 1st, March 1st, and so on. And I keep track of his season. Uh, so that's in there. The new one is out. It's available at bookstores. It's available at uh, online book retailers. And it's also available in 
almost every school book club in Canada. So that's where you can pick it up. And it's called Hockey Superstars 23-24. It's really fun because I've picked this up for a couple of years for a couple of little guys in, in my life now. And, and you know, they're they're sort of casual fans, but now it's right there in their hand. And I, I see them like instead of just talking about teams in general, like the ne- the next time I talk to them, they're talking about names in general. or They know I'm big into hockey. So they ask you about Sidney Crosby or about Mitch Marner or little things like that. It's, it's fun to kind of grab these kids at this age and, and help them take that next step into fandom if that's something that they're interested in. What made you 37 years ago decide, you know, when you were putting this together that you were going to sort of push one to be uh, approachable for kids? Well, the, the the idea behind it from the start of, of doing the book was I wanted to put together a book that uh, a 10-year-old me would have wanted to read. Uh, so I'm a kid. When I was a, a little boy, hockey obsessed like many little boys, and I kept scrapbooks of my favorite teams and big games and players. And, and you know, I would keep copious notes of how my team was doing. And, <laughs> and they were the old, you know, it's very old-fashioned now, but it was, you know, guys kept scrapbooks and you'd you'd clip out photos from the newspapers newspapers folks an actual (laughs) physical thing you held in your hands that you got your news and sports out of right uh and there'd be all kinds of trivial stuff and statistics so in the book uh it has all that it has the players stats from last year and then the as as the book has evolved over the years, uh, there are now things like, you know, did you know? Uh, So for example, I'm looking at uh, a player in this year's book called Jason Robertson. And I have, did you know that Jason is of Filipino descent Uh, through his mother's side of the family? He's one of all only four Filipino players to suit up for an NHL game. The others are Jason's brother, Nicholas, Tim Stapleton, and Matt Dumba. Okay, so that's the kind of thing where when you're a young hockey fan and you're memorizing everything about your favorite players, you go, wow, that's a cool fact. Uh, So I have did you knows for every player. And then hockey memories. So I'm looking at another one. Uh, Cole Perfetti. Uh, and a hockey memory for Cole is that he learned to skate with his grandfather, Angelo, who would pick him up in the morning and take him to an outdoor rink for lessons. And then afterwards, he'd share lunch with his grandfather and sister. And Cole's memory is he says, little things like that just show you the support and love we got from our grandparents and family. So lots of little trivial uh anecdotes and and notes in there for young hockey fans, which is exactly, Matt, what I liked, what I was into when I was a 10-year-old boy. So that was my thought from the time that I started it in 1986-87. So this has to take forever to not just nail down each player, and I'm sure it's not just the same group of players each year. You turn over, uh, try and include new people. There's different players each year. So, like, how long does this take you not only to decide who's going to be in this year's edition, but to find all these little notes? It takes several months. Uh, I would say from start to finish, I'll start compiling a list uh, in late December or early January, and there'll be a sort of a first draft, and I'll just take a look at, you know, some are obvious, right? Uh, I mean, Connor McDavid's going to be in every year. Right. You can't have a book called Hockey Superstars <laughs> without Connor McDavid in it. Uh, you know, Leon Dreisaitl. So there are some guys who jump out, but then you look around, you go, well, who else is having a good year? And then I try to get in a sprinkling of goalies uh, as well as defensemen and forwards, so it's not just forward heavy. Uh, 
and then I'll usually try to guess when I look at the rookies who has got a good shot at being rookie of the year. So maybe we'll put him in there. So the first draft is in January of the list, and then I'll go back and forth with the publisher. We'll nail it down, and I'll start to sort of write the rough outlines. Uh, that takes a couple of months, a couple of go-throughs. Then you start to fill in some of the blanks with the trivia and researching the, the did-you-knows and, uh, and hockey memories. And it's a lot easier now than it used to be because, of course, you can do a quick search on Google or whatever your favorite search engine is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys do interviews. Uh, there's copious amounts of information on the league and team websites so you can usually pick something out so that Cole Perfetti one I believe came from uh, an interview that he'd done uh, for the Winnipeg Jets team site where he talked about his hockey memory so I just take some of that and uh, attribute it of course uh, and and put it in the book but I would say from start to finish I do the, the final write the final polish is just after the NHL awards because we like to keep it current and have that in if so Somebody's won an award or had a record season. I'd like to change the copy to make mention of that. So it, it's a good, from start to finish, a good six months. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a mighty haul. And like, I guess it would be just as as uh, challenging with guys like Connor McDavid, who are in every year, like if he's been in for three, four years in a row, what what haven't I said yet? What didn't I, did you know about Connor McDavid yet? I guess that presents its own challenges. <laughs> It has, uh, you know, uh, you sort of as uh, Sidney Crosby being the latest right. example, right? I mean, in for so many years, and okay, well, we got in these shooting pucks into the dryer in the garage, and we've got like, and you sort of go through it. And, I got to find something. So yes, it can get to be a bit of a challenge, and I've, I've even had uh, uh, the editor call me up and go, uh, "That Sidney Crosby, did you know, was really interesting, and it was really interesting the first time you used it four years ago." Duh. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that if somebody's in a lot. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, how closely you follow the league at this point. And, um, you know, obviously to do this, you have to be keeping an eye on things. But how often at night are you still sitting down and, and watching games? And, you know, if if anything at all, you know, what stood out to you this year and who surprised you? Uh, often enough, uh, certainly not to the extent that I did when I was calling play by play for Hockey Night in Canada and before that TSN. I mean, when you when you do a job like that, you're living it. Uh, you're around it every day, going to skates, talking to colleagues, and yeah, it's it's part of your life. It has to be if you're doing play by play at that level. And I would. It, on a rare night when I was home, I would sit there and I'd flip through and I'd watch, you know, parts of two or three games. Uh, so I don't do that anymore. Um, and I think especially after, uh, after I was let go by Rogers, thanks again, Rogers, uh, <laughs> the gift that keeps giving. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, there was a while there where I just, I was hockeyed out. I didn't want to sit and watch a full NHL game. Uh, I watch now and I usually watch, watch parts of games. And my thoughts so far this year, I mean, they're going to be the same thoughts for anybody covering the league or a casual fan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of curious, as always, because I'm a Torontonian watching what is going on with the Leafs. Uh, great to see uh, William Nylander having the season yeah. that he's having. Uh, all of us, I think, look at the two big stories out west, the car crash and are they going to be able to get it back on the rails of the Edmonton Oilers and the very pleasant surprise for me that is the Vancouver Canucks. 
the way it's it started to gel together there. And then from an Ontario perspective and closer to home for you, always fun to see what's going on with the Ottawa Senators and, and uh, you know, how that story is going to play out with the new ownership and, of mm-hmm. course, talk about the new building and, and uh, will there be a coaching change? That seems to be the direction the wind is blowing right now. So those are some some top-level things that I would follow. As you're, uh, I wanted to drill down with you just for a second on that car crash out in Edmonton, and they do seem to have pulled out of it, but they had dug a mighty deep hole at first uh, before doing so. Goaltending still remains an issue, but Connor looks to be getting back to himself. I believe last week he had uh, something like 12 points in three games or whatever it was, so he appears to be back on track. Do you think they have time to to turn it around, or is it is the hill going to be too uh, too steep? No, no. Hey, it's a long way to go yet. We're not even into January. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you look back, and this is going back a few years now, but there was a year uh, that the LA Kings uh, won, won one of their Stanley Cups, and they were the last seeded team to get into the Stanley Cup yeah. playoffs. So they were, and, you know, they just happened to get everything together at the right time and they won a, went on a great run. I mean, we see this all the time. So for me, and you've watched enough hockey yourself, I, I kind of hesitate on saying the regular season is irrelevant because, of course, it's not. Um, it is relevant for very many reasons, not the least of which being that teams need to play games to make money. Sure. Uh, you, you can't just drop the puck in the playoffs uh, the first game of the year. So the, the regular season is relevant. However, uh, circling back to your question and from that that context, in that context, Lots of time for Edmonton to get things going. Uh, I mean, really, you know, get into the playoffs, uh, have things together by then. Does it really matter where you finish in the regular season? I don't think so. And there's example after example of that. So, yeah, I, I still think they're very relevant if you're talking about a, a team to come out of the West as a powerhouse. Yeah, a lot of the teams in that division aren't particularly scary either, right? Like Anaheim, you, you know, maybe you feel like you can catch Arizona, um, you know, the, so it, it's on the table for them. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. One of the reasons I normally come calling on you this time of year is that uh, you've called an awful lot of holiday hockey, whether it be World Juniors or, or Spangler Cup. I know you, it's been a while since, uh, since that's been uh, on your plate, but I'm just curious, does it still sort of... You know, do you get the itch? Is the body clock sort of normally tell you that this is normally a time you'd be gearing up and researching for something else? Or is it far enough in the past now that it's not really on your radar? No, it's funny you say that because uh, I was talking with some friends the other night just about, uh, hey, you know, what are you doing for Christmas? The usual conversation we all have. Uh, And I said, yeah, I still find it a little bit of not strange, I guess, but uh, there was a run there of, I want to say, 19 out of 21 years where I was at a hockey tournament calling play-by-play. Whether it was the World Junior Hockey Championship, I was the voice of the World Junior Championship on TSN from 1990-91 through 2000-2001. So a a good run there. So every single year during that stretch, I was away somewhere for Christmas calling play-by-play of the World Junior. Uh, Took about a year pause, I want to say it was, and then I got uh, involved with the Spangler Cup and calling play-by-play there and I did the Spangler Cup for 11 years so 
uh, you know, for a, a long, long time, I was always at a tournament and that was Christmas for me and Christmas and my wife, um, for me and my wife, you know, for quite a number of years, cause she would come to the tournament. Sure. So, yes, I, I still do around that time of the year, the memories come flooding back. And I think about all of the different cities around the world where I was lucky enough to spend Christmas and all of the people that I met and the games that I saw and uh, fantastic memories. Um, and then even when I was back doing NHL play by play at Hockey Night in Canada, the way the schedule works nowadays with so many games on television Usually I would be home for Christmas, but quite often it would be fly back from somewhere on the 24th, you're home for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and you're jumping on a plane on the 26th to do a game somewhere on the 27th. So it was always a very busy season for me. Uh, so yeah, I still, to answer your question, uh, the body clock, the memory, the mind, I still very much associate the holiday season with hockey. So we just saw the uh, four NHL teams go over to Stockholm. This year's World Juniors is also in Sweden. It's in uh, Gothenburg. Is that a city you visited? What would we? Uh, what would you tell us to predict out of those fans? You think it'll be well attended there? I think it'll be okay. Um, you know, it's it's never for me when I did it the best country in uh, Europe for the World Junior Hockey Championship attendance-wise was always Finland. Hmm. Uh, and, and Finland is very much like Canada, where absolutely, unquestionably, the number one sport in terms of people participating, watching on television, reading about it online, uh, and just part of the day-to-day -day conversation, rights paid for fees to broadcast games. Finland is like Canada. Um other countries, hockey is popular, sometimes very popular, but it's not, it doesn't dominate the way it does here. So Sweden, football is very, very popular. Soccer right. uh, is, is very popular, as well as Nordic sports. So sports like downhill skiing are also very popular and take up a lot of the, uh, of the, the oxygen. Mm -hmm. The strange thing about a country like Sweden or Finland or the Czech Republic or whatever is people don't, there isn't junior hockey the same way there is in Canada. So people are, you know, they've become educated over the years a little bit more as this tournament has, has, has taken on a little bit more of an important role on the European hockey calendar, but it's still not even close to what it is here simply because there is no, junior hockey league like the CHL that people follow if uh, you know players come up through a club system so if you're a good player in Gothenburg then you would play in the Gothenburg club team system uh, and there would be a junior age team that you played with but if you were really good, you would probably be up practicing and playing occasionally with the men's team right. because that's more how it works over there. So I think it'll be well attended, uh, particularly for Sweden's games, sure. uh, but it won't be like it is in Canada. No. Okay. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about before we get you out of here, Paul, is you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Rogers and, and the way they uh, they had let you go there not too long ago. And, and we've seen you know, over the years here lately, more and more cuts. I don't know if you noticed or, or caught it or not, but last week it was Sportsnet 590 who announced that uh, Ben Wagner, who does play-by-play -play for the Jays, he's been let go uh, after I would suggest he really wasn't treated all that well in terms of, uh, you know, he was never sent on the road. He had a rotating cast of color people. He was bumped off the air completely for TV simulcast during the pandemic. Um, he's gone... 
and no real explanation as to why. And then uh, just this week, we saw uh, the closing of Yahoo Sports Canada, which is obviously a smaller outlet. It's where a lot of people are getting their start. But one of the things when talking about sports media that I don't think a lot of people follow enough is is you need those places. They're the minor leagues, essentially, where guys get their reps writing columns or, um, you know, hosting different things. You can't just graduate college and land on TSN or Sportsnet. And so I'm just sort of as someone who's been through a few different situations and seen a lot of things in a few different countries now. And, um, you know, I remember uh, you telling the story of of trying to start up that new radio station at 1050 and how that went back in the day. I'm just sort of curious what your view of Canadian sports media is at this point and, and where it's headed. Well, it's it's a view that I've expressed before, um, but uh, you know, just to to reiterate, I think the biggest problem facing not just sports media but news media in this country is the fact that it is dominated by two big companies, Rogers and Bell, who don't want to be in the media business. <laughs> uh, and as Exhibit A, I would point to the fact of the number of jobs that they have shed. Uh, over the last half dozen or even decade, over the last half dozen years or the last 10 years, the number of jobs they've shed, the number of radio stations and television stations that they've shuttered, uh, news departments that they've gotten rid of. So as long, you know, and, and, and again, not to be too harsh on, on Rogers and Bell, but you know, why should they be interested in being in the media business? Their business, well over 90% of their revenue, their raison de terre is selling broadband and selling mobile phones. Right. That's how they make their money. They don't make their money by broadcasting news programs, producing quality sports television, or any of the above. And the divisions in those two companies, in my opinion, are treated accordingly. And that is the assets are strip mined out. So they take out, you know, nice cash flow, people paying their 10 bucks a month or whatever it is for Sportsnet or TSN. Mm -hmm. Great on the cash flow. So we'll take that out. But we're going to cut, cut, cut. We're going to get rid of older people who are making good money. We're going to get rid of uh, the production that we have to do. We'll pare it right down to virtually nothing. Um and that is what is is killing sports media and news media in this country. And as long as Rogers and Bell, cell phone and broadband companies are in charge of news and sports media, it won't change. And I fear that it will only get worse. Do you see this headed to a place where, at least on the sports side of things, and I mean, the news is a whole other thing. It's far more important and and it's a conversation that as a nation we have to have um, about how we're going to get this. But on the sports side of it, do you think we're headed to a place where these games end up being produced in-house either by the leagues themselves or by the team so that, A, um, they have a steady hand on the wheel and, and know that this product is going to get out there. They're not going to be, um, you know, at the whim of a couple of telecoms. But also, like, journalistically, we kind of have our say. They're, the criticism maybe isn't as as bad as it would be if we're letting an independent entity run our, um, you know, run our, uh, our broadcast. Is that where we're going? 
Well, I think you know, any league, if they could make the dollar amounts work, would would love to do that. I mean, who wouldn't want to control the product? Let's say, for example, if you're the NHL, so you control the product and you also control how that product is portrayed. Uh, they largely do that now or attempt to, but you could do it right down to the, the fine details mm-hmm. if you are producing the broadcast and putting it on the air. However, for the NHL, certainly at this stage, the model wouldn't work. It would cost them, in my opinion, so much money to become essentially a production company and have to broadcast all of these games uh, and then work deals to distribute them, to get them, you know, to get them on the air somewhere. Right. That the economic model is far better where you have Rogers or Bell or NBC or ESPN coming to you and saying, okay, well, we'll cut you a check for half a billion dollars or a billion or whatever your, your, the fee is and uh, to give us the rights. That That's going to put way more money in their pocket, I think, than having to produce all the games themselves uh, and then try to distribute them and sell advertising and so on. Right now, that's how it works. Now, somebody as big as the NFL, I I wonder, that's a good question you ask. Maybe they would look at that. Uh, maybe they could make the model work. But I think for the NHL, what they have right now is, is what works. Uh, I appreciate you making the time for me, as always, Paul. Tell us again about the podcast, about the book, where we can uh, where we can find you. You can find the podcast called The Walrus Was Paul wherever it is that you get fine podcasts, wherever it is that you get this fine podcast <laughs> that you're listening to. You can get it there. You can go to my webpage, Romycast, R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T.com. If you want to go to the site and play it there, there's a built-in player uh, on all the casts. Uh, the hockey book is Hockey Superstars. It is edition number 37. It's got to be, if it's not the longest-running series of hockey books in Canada. It's got to be right up there in the running anyway. Uh, so 37 years, it's out right now. You can get it uh, online bookshops. You can get it physical bookshops, and you can also get it in most school book clubs and book fairs. It's called Hockey Superstars 23-24. Mitch Marner is on the cover of the English edition. So there you go. Oh, is there a French edition as well? There is a French edition. Yes, wow. there is. Okay. Um, and don't ask me who's on the cover because I don't have one in front of me. I can't remember. It's terrible. <laughs> no problems. Uh, I can vouch, as I said, I, I've picked it up for uh, for quite a while now as a stocking stuffer and, and stuff like that for uh, the kids in your life. If you're looking for uh, you know a Christmas gift that's easy and they'll uh, learn something from for the hockey life in your fan uh, or the hockey fan in your life, as I get tripped up on my own words here, uh, it's a Perfect one. And we'll link to uh, all of that stuff that uh, that Paul just mentioned in the show notes at talkanaudio.com or wherever you're hearing us. Uh, I appreciate you making the time as always, Paul, and uh, I hope you have an awesome holiday season. Will you enjoy a tall can or two over the holidays, <laughs> as will I, and we'll talk again sometime. Nice talking to you as always, Matt. Thanks, Paul. All right. Always great to talk to Paul Romanuk. That was uh, that was fun. I, I always enjoy his insights on, on a lot of things. He's a guy that's been around the industry for a really long time, and so you know, happy to talk about the book, happy to talk about the Beatles and, and kind of get his take on, on those sorts of things. But this is a guy who's sort of been through it with the sports media industry and, and, and has seen it from a few angles, right? He, he, he's worked for TSN, he's worked for Sportsnet, he's been over in Europe and, and done things for, for companies over there. Uh, he's been screwed over by Rogers as so many have. So it would have seemed like an opportunity wasted to not ask him, uh, ask him what he thinks. So uh, if you're interested in checking out the book, the link is in the show notes. Actually, links to a bunch of the books we've checked out or had guests on are all in the show notes on every episode right now. 
great stocking stuffer ideas, great gift ideas. And if you happen to buy Paul's book, Hockey Superstars, or any of the books that are in the show notes through our links, the show gets a little kickback. You pay the same price you were always going to, but Amazon sends us a couple bucks for sending you their way. And so uh, it's an easy way to support the show on something you might have been preparing to buy anyway. So uh, look for the link to uh, Hockey Superstars 2023-2024 by Paul Romanuk in the show notes. And there's a whole list of them there um, of other guests uh, who've written books here lately. We've had uh, Mike Camito on here talking about Leafs 365, Ethan Shiner, Freedom to Win. Ken Reed was on here to talk about uh, hometown hockey heroes. So we've had a bunch of guests on lately who've put out great books that I've, I've enjoyed. And so I've linked to them there. And like I said, if you're thinking about picking one of them up, we'd love it if you'd use our link so that uh, Amazon will pick a couple bucks back our way and, and we can keep the, uh, the beer fridge here in the studio full. Uh, that's where we'll wrap this one up. Don't forget, Lever Sage on Thursday morning and Scotty Mack talking baseball on Friday morning. Going to be a good week around here, so hope you will subscribe. Hope you will join us then. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.